This podcast is sponsored by Echelon. Echelon is the affordable way to get the workout equipment, the workout community, and an instructor's motivation right in the comfort of your own home. With Echelon, you can work at any time, day or night, and crush your fitness goals. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, just text GENIUS to 818181. Quick disclaimer, message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have uh, Wendy Seifert. Uh, she's the author of a book called The Sunny Nihilist, A Declaration of the Pleasure of Pointlessness. Uh, so we're going to talk about her work. So Wendy, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, for listeners, what is nihilism? If you could define that first. Sure. So nihilism, I mean, I guess it depends who you ask. Everyone has a bit of a different interpretation. But broadly, it's this kind of rejection of meaning at the top level. It's sort of saying, you know, life is meaningless. All systems of kind of meaning and purpose that are placed on us, whether that be religious, political or social, are effectively made up. And then I suppose in a day-to-day life, it's saying that the kind of stories that we tell ourselves about why and how things happen effectively just fantasies and we are staring into the abyss and up the edge of chaos of all times but um i would argue it's not quite as scary as it sounds well how would you contrast this with uh, atheism is this atheism plus more or how would how do they relate i think they're kind of bedfellows that can sit alongside each other i would say atheism maybe uh engages with like a stream of nihilism a part of nihilism this idea that there is no god whereas nihilism takes it a, a little bit further and says well i mean there's really no nothing everything's kind of just made up so why stop at God? Oh, so um, are you a nihilist or did you become one? And what was that journey like? I consider myself a nihilist now. I think some people maybe doubt that two years after kind of starting work on this book, my commitment is the same, but I'm, I'm pretty firmly rooted. So my experience with nihilism sort of happened quite slowly. I was experiencing what I think a lot of people are feeling probably right now, but have been feeling increasingly over the past few years in the sense that I was incredibly burnt out. I was very, very overwhelmed with my life and my job and my sort of all the things that everyone around me was telling me what I was supposed to achieve. And I sort of looked at my life, which I mean, objectively was going fine. You know, I could pay the rent. I had a nice partner. I was healthy. And I felt like everything was telling me that it wasn't enough, that I wasn't living right. And that I was always kind of falling short of some kind of like mythical goal or purpose that I never could totally understand what it actually was supposed to be. And then one day I was walking home from work, work, I I explore a lot in the book, but I was a big sort of trigger point for me. And I was kind of on the edge of this panic attack, just feeling completely overwhelmed by my, again, pretty regular life. And I just had this sort of like flashing thought where I was just like who cares one day I'm going to be dead no one's going to care about me no one's going to care about this I am so small I'm just like a lump of meat on a rock 
you know, orbiting in a different star, like how did I get to the point where these sort of like mundane issues that have no real impact are completely rinsing my brain and body? And I think for a lot of people that could have been a kind of devastating question. But for me, I was sort of flooded with this feeling of like relief and peace uh, that initially I didn't really understand where it came from. But I sort of started following that feeling a bit and exploring a few different philosophies and kind of reading about these ideas of, I started asking, well, why did I feel this way in the first place? Why did, where did all these pressures come from? And I mean, that's what sort of led me to nihilism, which, you know, in its simplest self is kind of what I was facing on that street corner, this idea that nothing matters. But the more time I spent with it, I wasn't as destroyed by it as I said, you know, I thought I would be. Instead, I found it actually kind of really freeing and liberating and kind of almost mindful in a way. And that was the beginning of my journey to be a sunny nihilist. So um, how has this changed how you, um, you know, experience your day or if you get into an interaction with someone and it's, it's either positive or negative, like what, what has this done to your reaction from that? Yeah, well, this is the thing about it. I think I've almost been surprised even myself how much it has reframed the way I approach the big parts of my life, but honestly, the small parts too. I think anyone can relate to that feeling of whether you're at work or you're with a loved one or a friend or you're just, I don't know, in a shop and you start getting kind of like caught up in the mundanity of your life and you start feeling anxious and stressed and you kind of like, oh God, I've got to get this presentation done or I've got to call that person back or, you know, I had that awkward interaction and now that person thinks I'm an idiot. And I often still tell myself, you know, oh my gosh, like who cares? One day you'll be dead. This doesn't matter. And it still really relieves me of that pressure in the moment. But then also more broadly, I think when I'm kind of making larger decisions in my life, it's given me this sort of pathway to sort of examine why I'm behaving a certain way, why the people around me are behaving a certain way, and why I'm allowing myself to partake in this kind of exchange of behavior. And something I do a lot now is when I find myself in a situation that I find confronting, I ask, okay, who created this construct or this social, political, religious, cultural rule? How does it relate to me? You know, most of the time it was invented by someone hundred years before I was born, who had whose life looked completely different to mine. How, what were they trying to get out of it? Who is it serving? Again, most of the time it's not serving me. And it gives me a, a sense of, I guess, proximity to the forces that control my life. And I find it gives me agency to have a little bit more control and sort of accepting or rejecting those kind of external pressures. And a lot of the time I realize the thing that's telling me how to behave is actually very removed from what I actually want, which when I sit and I ask myself, what do I really want? I think like most people, you know, I, think I want to feel happy and peaceful and safe. Mm-hmm. And when you strip your life back like that, you realize a lot of the time you spend, a lot of the the things you spend time on during the day aren't actually navigating you towards any of those goals. What happens with um, your interactions, let's say with family or people that are close to you, has it improved the relations? Has it diminished it? Has it changed the nature of them? I feel like it has given me agency to let go of some and it has really improved the ones that remain. You know, I think a lot of us are doing this around this time of year when I'm engaging with someone and I'm kind of asking, okay, well, why am I committed to this relationship? You know, what is it actually giving to me? In some cases, that means that maybe I'm sort of spending time with someone or in a certain situation because I feel like there is a version of my life that I think that I'm supposed to partake in that involves this person. But in the day-to-day, you know, they actually just make me feel stressed out and miserable. But on the other side of it, I think there's some really interesting intersections between nihilism and love and the way we kind of approach relationships and what we expect from them. Something I think about a lot 
and I do write about in the book, I have a chapter on love, is how we've kind of been taught what love is and how to love and how to express ourselves within love. And also how we've kind of internalized this sense of what love is supposed to feel like. And it often divorces us from how we actually feel in the moment. So I suppose in the closest relationship in my life, which is with my partner, who, you know, we've been together for 10 years, love him very much. Obviously nothing is perfect. We fight like any couple. Quite often when I find myself becoming frustrated with him, it's given me the space to step back and ask, okay, why do I want him to inhabit this behavior? Why do I want us to be behaving in this certain way? A lot of the time that's because I want him to be respectful and kind to me. And then obviously that's important and I need to stay engaged with that. But a lot of the time it's also because I've been presented this image of what my relationship is supposed to look like. And I find it stressful if it doesn't match that. But once again, if I sort of pause and I actually ask, well, who told me that he was supposed to, you know, give me these kinds of gifts or say these kinds of things to me or do these kinds of tasks for me. It lets me kind of shift focus away from those kind of learned patterns and actually say, well, what do I love about this person? What do I value in them? And focus on those far more, I guess, personal and immediate factors that actually bring me far more joy than whether or not he's behaving like, you know, a character in a Nancy Myers rom-com. Well, so I'm sure a lot of people have asked you this, but you adhere to nihilism. Like, why why does it matter if he loves you or doesn't love you? Or why does it matter if you love him or don't love him? Or why does it matter if you feel safe or happy? Like, if there's no point. Well, this is the thing about nihilism. I mean, that's the first question everyone asks. That's the first question I ask. You know, why get out of bed if there's no point? And I think that what's kind of interesting is how much we have kind of put placed the value of our lives within this idea of meaning. So if someone says to me, well, if your work isn't ultimately going to mean anything, then why go to work? Or if, you know, we're not ultimately on some path of salvation, then why be good to anyone? But what's kind of interesting to me is I think we get a bit jumbled sometimes between meaning and value. Meaning is a construct, something that people manipulate, place on us, change. Value is a very real thing. We all navigate the value of our lives every day. You know, the value of your job, are you getting paid fairly for the work you're doing? The value of your relationships is the energy you're putting into what you're getting out. The value of the way you behave in, within your own community is the the actions that you're placing on other people, making your day-to-day better or worse. And I think when we engage with nihilism, as opposed to saying, well, what's the point of doing anything? It kind of can help us shift back to those value questions instead so it's not am I doing this thing because I'm kind of chasing some mythical reward but rather am I doing this thing because right now I'm trying to feel better be safer be happier because I mean you know even if you believe that everything exists for nothing you do still have to get up out of bed in the morning you know you've got to pay your gas bill you've got to cross the road and hopefully not get hit by a car so I think it's a way to sort of navigate the everyday and the other thing that I think about a lot is this idea of I think sometimes we put so much value on the meaning of things and so much importance of it that it can kind of take us away from the simple, just daily pleasures of our life. I'm drinking a delicious cup of coffee right now. It is a meaningless act, but it brings me joy. I got my booster shot yesterday, you know, in the scope of all time, that doesn't matter, but it has given me a sense of these my anxiety and I feel good to have had it. Again, I love my partner in the this branch of human history no one's going to care that we had this love affair but you know it makes me feel good I think it's okay to chase like pleasure and kindness and goodness and it doesn't have to be tied to some huge arcing world-changing narrative 
where do values and ethics and emotions and wants and desires come from then? Well, I mean, the kind of personal questions, these are things we have to interrogate ourselves. And I think sometimes when we subscribe to these systems of meaning, you know, everyone wants to feel like they're living their life right. You know, we have one life. You don't want to feel like you're wasting time. You want to feel like you're on the correct path, which is very human. Obviously, I don't begrudge anyone for wanting to feel like they get to the end of their life and it wasn't a waste. But I think what happens is when we sort of, we reach for meaning because we think it's kind of, it's a shortcut or a handbook to making sure that we do that correctly. And again, whether that's political or social or religious, we're looking for someone else to tell us what these values and morals are. Whereas the interesting thing about nihilism is when you actually kind of wholesale reject that there are any fixed truths or there are any preconceptions of these things that exist absolutely it kind of puts the pressure back on yourself you have to ask okay well then in my day-to-day life what actually makes me feel better what is make serving me in the practical sense and I think it forces you to take a little bit more autonomy for those questions as opposed to I guess outsourcing your exploration of morality or goodness or badness to someone else to just tell you how to behave and never actually asking, well, why does this person want me to behave in this way? How was, how are they seeking to, you know, manipulate or control my behavior? So is that the standpoint that people are just by definition, you know, by their nature, they're always trying to manipulate control or do you think some suggestions have a good intent or what's your read? Oh, I think that it's completely different for everything. I mean, I don't, I don't really believe in absolutes in any sense. I think that a lot of power holders who, present us with ideas of meaning are manipulative and I a lot of the book is spent exploring that I definitely don't think that every single person that gets up and gives an opinion or tells someone how to live their life is trying to you know behave in a nefarious way you could argue this book is me getting up and telling people how I think they should live their lives I mean and it's not lost on me that the kind of the most anti-nihilist thing you could really do is spend two years working on a book but I would say it's not so much about me saying take this book follow every single rule within it, you know, replace all your systems of meaning with this system of meaning that I'm giving you, which is even if the whole system is that it is meaningless. It's rather saying, recognize the construct that we are all living under. And you might do that and look at these systems and say, you know what, this actually works for me. Like when I interrogate this for myself, it aligns with what I want and I'm going to stay with it. And in that sense, good on you. I wish you the best of luck. And I'm very happy that you found that. But I think a lot of people will start to recognize often smaller ways that these things are kind of being used to control them in the everyday. And in the book, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking about my mom, who in some ways is kind of a bit of a foil for me. Uh, and a lot of the ideas that we explore together kind of come from, you know, conversations I had with her as a child. My mom is religious. She kind of believes a lot of the same things I do, but for her, she's asked these questions of her religious life and has found that the answers do align with what she wants. And she has chosen to, you know, still believe in God and still go to church and still live that part of her life. And I have no criticism for her for that, but I feel good that she's kind of been active in that decision and she's not letting those things just be placed on her. She's kind of making these decisions for herself. I've been working too hard and not working out enough. I wanted to get in shape, but I don't have time to get to the gym. Echelon brings the gym home to me. So right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS, G-E-N-I-U-S, to 818181 to get up to $800 off MSRP. Once again, text GENIUS to 818181. 
and message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. Yeah, I could see how it could be useful, and maybe some people take it uh, you know, to a point where it's not useful for them. But I can see it's definitely useful to help challenge your assumptions and the way you live, and again, why why someone's telling you something or insisting that you do this or that. Um, what what are the flavors of nihilists that you've run into? Like, what are the avatars of the different types of nihilists that are out there? Well, I think nihilism in its most public sense, maybe pre this book, has obviously been pretty negative. And I think a lot of the nihilists that we sort of think about when we talk about it in a mainstream sense, I mean, nihilism has interacted in really brutal parts of history. There's a lot of nihilism within fascism. There was a lot of nihilism within Nazism. This we could talk about for another whole hour. There's a lot of misrepresentation and manipulation of nihilist thinking, as with all philosophies where you can take someone's good work and spin it to a destructive cause. Something that's interesting is that a lot of people have said to me and have pointed to me that, you know, QAnon is nihilism, that uh, incels are nihilism, that these kind of toxic 4chan communities are nihilism, that this idea of people kind of giving up on the structures of society are, you know, you see them emotionally, mentally and socially coming apart at the seams and turning into these like really destructive places. I actually find that almost the opposite of nihilism. I think what we see there is people who are losing faith in these existing structures that we've discussed, but are then kind of almost frantically looking for any system of meaning, whether that is a conspiracy theory or another kind of bad actor coming in and willing to tell them any narrative that will assure them that the way they're living is correct, even if, you know, from the outside it is objectively delusional. But then also I think that once you kind of start thinking about nihilism in this kind of more positive sense, you can see examples of it in other places. Something I've become very interested in is I'm 34, but the generation younger than me and maybe even half, uh, one and a half generations younger than me, we're having all these micro generations now. This interesting thing of a lot of kind of teenagers really looking at the things they were told to want in life, you know, whether that's 2.3 kids, a white picket fence, a steady job, esteem, money, job security, and actually saying, well, what's the point of any of these things? You have been chasing these kind of like capitalist ideals for 150 years and we're kind of in this mess. I'm, they kind of almost approaching this kind of current state with a sense of political nihilism. But instead of, you know, burning down their school rooms, they're turning to activism and they're actually saying, okay, well then what else do I want to fight for? If I reject these things that matter, what matters to me? And then you're seeing these movements of what actually matters to me is protecting the environment or protecting each other from, you know, violent acts or protecting my community from racial violence. I think a lot of the really encouraging social movements have come from almost a sense of political nihilism of losing faith in old systems. Uh, What do you think of what some people call wokeness? I feel like it's one of those words that doesn't really mean anything and it just means whatever anyone wants it to mean in the moment for their own argument. Oh, I mean, so you think there's, it's really, it's undefined, there's no such thing or what are your thoughts about it? I just think it's one of those words that's become sort of so politicized that it's, it means whatever, it means something different to every single person. And I think it's just become really weaponized. I mean, the idea of being woke in itself, I don't think is offensive. I think it means it's what we've been talking about now. It's being conscious of the systems around you, questioning things, challenging other people's ideas and approaching the world with your eyes open. But I also think it has been kind of vilified to 
really just represent a lot of things that people disagree with. I think a lot of people would call me, say that I'm woke. And I mean, I don't see it as an insult. I also think that sometimes when a word becomes so disseminated into the mainstream, it's like, how can you even define it anymore? I don't know. Like what kind of feedback have you gotten from the book? You know, have, have readers commented on it? And was there anything interesting that jumped out at you based on their comments? It's actually been really positive. I'm, to be honest, I was a little bit, I wasn't worried, but I was bracing myself that I could get a lot of backlash from it. I do. I, I try and be sensitive and I'm in general, I would say by nature, not a very judgmental or condemning person, but I do, you know, take some big shots at some big ideas, you know, things like the modern workforce and religion. Uh, but in, I've actually been quite surprised by the tenderness of a lot of people's replies. I was um, speaking to my boyfriend about it actually this morning. I would say almost every other day I get an email from someone who says, you know, they were, they were or they are in a position that I sort of was at the beginning of the book of feeling really lost and really confused and really frightened and that the book has kind of offered them a sense of solidarity and peace and comfort, which I don't think when I was writing it, I even dared to hope for because it seemed too ambitious. But I've been really touched by the fact that I think that these big ideas can feel scary, but I would say that I feel like this book is actually more of a soothing tone than a, an aggravating one. Oh, so, I mean, do you feel like you've uh, accomplished something or you've done a good thing, you know, by writing this book or like, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like it was worth doing or what's your thoughts? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think anyone who writes a book will tell you that there's that flashing moment where you first see the book contract and you just think, oh my God, like, what if I actually physically can't do this? It's the biggest project I've ever worked on. I think, you know, we're always surprising ourselves of what we're like emotionally and intellectually capable of. Uh, But I was saying to my brother actually the other day, you know, you try not to get too caught up in sales and reviews and things like that, even though, again, people have been very kind and very receptive. Not to sound too corny, but I think when you do get one of those emails with someone saying that you made them feel like markedly better or you offered them some real comfort, and I step back and I think to myself, you know, if you'd said to me two years ago, I need you to work on this thing for a couple of years and it's going to really help someone that you're never going to meet, but it's going to make them feel less alone. Would you still do it? And I mean, I believe the answer would be yes. So I would say it is 100% worth it. And every time I get one of those messages, it feels even more so. Well, that's good. I just thought of, uh, I guess, a funny word, like what if someone was a cultural nihilist or what would you call a scientist that studies nihilism? No, um, I mean, I suppose like maybe a cosmic nihilist. That's sort of what you think about right. it when you're like really on a planetary sense and you're like the universe is completely pointless. So what, um, now that you've done the book, are you planning a second book or like, where do you go from here? What do you plan? Yeah, to do? I've kind of been thinking about that a little bit. I, I mean, to be honest, after writing a book, I'm enjoying having a little bit of spare time. A lot of this book is sort of an argument for empty space and spare time and unstructured kind of projects and this idea that you don't need to always be like performing and trying to achieve the next thing. And yeah, it's not lost on me that I spend a lot of my spare time promoting this book and talking about this book. So I'm kind of keen to practice what I preach a little bit and step back and just sort of see what comes to me. I'm a journalist and a writer as in my day job. So I'm always very flooded with ideas. But I think I'd like to keep considering these sort of like big concepts. Someone asked me once what when I was working as a journalist what my beat was. And I said, um, I really just want to know why we feel the way we do. So I think I would just like to continue trying to figure out, uh, untangle some mass collective feelings, I suppose. 
where can people get your book? Is it Amazon, Kindle, or uh, where should they go to learn more? It's pretty much everywhere. It's uh, all major retailers. You'll be able to find it. It's ebooks and audiobooks are also available. It's on Amazon, it's on Booktopia, it's on all these places. Uh, you can also just go to wendycipherit.com to sort of be interconnected with everything about me in the book, which if you do find that a Google search doesn't help you, that will probably locate you. Well, to make it easier, so your last name is S-Y-F-R-E-T, is that right? Yes, that's it. And then on Twitter, I'm Wendy Wins, which is even a little bit easier. Oh, Wendy Wins? Um, Wendy Wins, so W-E-N-D-Y-W-E-N-D-S. Excellent. Okay. Well, very good. Um, any other, I mean, since we're on the podcast, any comment for listeners that really would sum up what they'll get out of the book? Uh, you probably already have, but um, like, what would you be your final statement to listeners you know, to encourage them to get the book and engage with you? I would say that Daring to the Abyss I, is terrifying at first, but I do promise you that if you stick with it, you will feel a sense of relief. It's All of this isn't as terrifying and as hopeless as it might initially sound. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Wendy, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was an unusual topic, but uh, it was a good call. (laughs) So thank you. I'm glad. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, which has been sponsored by Echelon. When you're trying to reach your fitness goals, it can really help to have world-class instructors like Nicole Griffin and Michael Brown choreographing classes with music from your favorite artists like Pitbull. And you get a community of hundreds of thousands of people who can give you that extra push. Echelon gives you that. Echelon's certified fitness instructors are supportive, engaging, and fun. They really know how to get you moving. And right now, for a limited time, podcast listeners can get up to $800 off MSRP. To get this exclusive podcast discount, text GENIUS to 818181 to get $800 off MSRP. Once again, text GENIUS to 818181. Message and data rates may apply. Please see terms for details. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.